to the Skeptical Skeptics podcast. I'm your host, RJ Metzger. And I'm Rachel Metzger. And we're the Skeptical Skeptics. So this is episode seven. And if you're still with us, we appreciate your support. And just if you're new, hi. Yes, if you're new. So being a skeptical skeptic is just not being one side or the other between true believer or skeptic. We fall somewhere in the middle or anywhere in between. Okay, so for our weird fact of the week, this is the one I found. It says there is a man who claims to have traveled to an alternate dimension in which the Beatles never broke up and brought back a mixtape of Beatles songs no one in this dimension has ever heard. And on the mixtape, it says the Beatles everyday chemistry. Like that's the title of the CD or something. Mixtape. But yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean like the CD they would have had. But yeah, mixtape because it's older. My bad. Right. That's really interesting. And I actually really want to look into that. So do I. Like, that's like one of those little snippets that's like, hold on, I need more. That's actually more of a big deal than what you're giving (laughs) it. Yeah, no, that's really cool. So we'll look into that, see if there's more to it. Um, But that's a good weird fact of the week. So this week, I'm going to be talking about the American Dyatlov Pass. And I'll be talking about Sloss Furnace, which is a steel mill that is really horribly haunted. So this is the American Dyatlov Pass. So on February 24th of 1975, five men between the ages of 24 and 32 were heading home from a college basketball game in Chico, California. The men's names, it's going to get difficult with their names because having five different people is kind of complicated. But their names are Gary Mathis, Jack Hewitt, William Sterling, Ted Weir, and Jack Madruga. So they all packed up in Madruga's car. Oh, wait, first, maybe we should just mention, in case you haven't listened to episode one, Dyatlov Pass was a Russian like group of people. The incident anyway, was a Russian group of hikers that um, got lost. And people think it's either because of aliens or the Yeti or um, either listen to our podcast, the first one or look it up. Yeah. Or the Red Army or whatever. Anyway, so listen to the first one. But so the American Dyatlov Pass obviously is a group of Americans. And stop explaining my story. The two. Stop explaining my story. Stop it. Have been called. Stop it. Paralleled. A lot. All right, go. Anywho. So they packed up in Madruga's car and headed home to Yuba City, which is about 45 minutes away from Chico. Okay. And it's south. Okay. Almost like directly. I looked up on a map because I want to know what I'm talking about. And almost directly south. So... This may not seem important, but it is to the story. All five of the men were considered, for the time, mentally handicapped. They were all in different levels, but obviously back in the 70s, there was not, like, a way to differentiate between it. Um, Their political correctness was pretty much crap. There was no such thing. Yeah. They didn't even, like, understand why you should be politically correct. The words they used even in the article made me sad. (laughs) I didn't like it. It was S for sad. This one is not I for icky. It's S for sad. So Weir and Hewitt were considered like the most severe, most severely handicapped out of the five men. And then the other two, which was Sterling and Madruga, they were kind of more high functioning. And actually, Matia, Mata, Mata, da, da, da. and actually, Mat, 
Matthias. I can't know. Matthias. Matthias. Sorry. Okay. And actually, Matthias was not mentally handicapped. He he had schizophrenia, but you know, the seventies, right? Where anything like that was just you're mentally handicapped. Yeah. Oh, you sweat weird. You're mentally handicapped. Mentally handicapped. Anything. But uh, Matthias and Madruga had both served in the military, and they both had driver's licenses. So Madruga was considered high functioning enough to obtain a driver's license and be in the military. I'm not sure if that's like super a big deal back then, but either way, they both were allowed to drive. So they were headed home to Yuba city, which is about 45 minutes. I said that from Chico. And the last time they were seen before this drive was at a gas station still in Chico. So Weir's mother woke up in the morning and realized her son was not home. And after talking to the other families, they all realized that none of the men had come home that night. So four days later, uh, the police had started a search and they found Madruga's car. It was found on an isolated mountain 30 miles outside of Chico in Palmetto, which, okay, so Yuba is south. Palmetto is northeast of Chico. 30 miles northeast. So the total wrong direction. Completely wrong direction. And Palmetto is like in the middle of the mountains. These are like crazy tiny little cliff mountain high, you know, isolated roads. Sure. Out in the middle of nowhere. So what were they doing there? Like what was right happening? So the car was found in a small ditch, stuck, but was fully functional and could have easily been pushed out, especially with five men. Um... The men were missing, but the car was in great condition and there was no sign of the men in the car at all. Like there was nothing like nothing signing, showing a struggle or that there was a fight or anything like that. The saddest part is not the saddest part. There's more sad parts. But one of the saddest parts is that this was the end of February. So literally the cops could not start looking for their bodies because the mountain was covered in snow and ice. Like it wouldn't have they wouldn't have found anything because there's constantly new snow being laid down and would cover anything they would find. Right. So they had to wait until summer before they could start looking. So on June 4th, a group of motorcyclists found the body of a man in an unheated ranger cabin about pretty close to where the car had been found on the side of the road. And they identified the man as Ted Weir. He was shoeless, lying on a mattress uh, with a makeshift shroud covering, like wrapped around his body. He had empty tin cans and military sea rations all around him. He had a beard, which he didn't have when he first got there, that seemed to have be, be about two to three months of growth. Um, and he was frostbitten and he had lost 80 pounds. They believed he died of starvation. So this is the weird stuff. There was no sign of a fire ever inside of the cabin, although there were matches like out available and many flammable objects in the room that he could have started a fire with. There was also a tank of propane found on the outside of the cabin, which could have filled the cabin with heat if it had just been opened, but it hadn't. And I forget, is Weir one of the more high functioning ones? No. Okay. He's the, he, him and Hewitt are the most severe. Okay. So there was also a locker found in the room that was locked, but like easily the, the lock was easily broken. It was rusted and old. And it had enough food to keep all five men alive for an entire year. He hadn't even gotten near it. Hadn't touched it at all. So then within a few weeks after that, the skeletal remains were found of Hewitt, Madruga, and Sterling. Pretty, like, close within the proximity of the trailer. 
And they had also died of hypothermia and starvation. So let's go back to the car. One weird thing is that in the glove compartment, they had maps. But all of the maps were present. None of them were taken with them. And they weren't even taken out. Like they were all just in the glove compartment, which to them makes it seem like they weren't lost. Because if they were, they would have taken their maps out. Right. Right. It's the 70s. You use maps. Same as I would have used my phone. So it's believed that the men at least didn't think they were lost, even if they obviously were. Unless maybe they were going somewhere that nobody knew about. But it seems like they were lost going 30 miles the wrong way. And in a mountain. Like you weren't on a mountain before. You don't go to a mountain to get home because they obviously drove from Yuba to Chico. There's no mountain in between there. Right. So they had to know. So another thing that the cops noticed was that the car had made it up the mountain in the snow with no damage at all, which to them told them that the driver must have been familiar with the road. Right. Because that's really dangerous. And yeah. And do you have a note on what the car is? The car was a Montego. Oh, OK. Yeah. So in other words, not a mountain going vehicle. No, it was like a big hunk of metal metal that but was like a, it was a car. It wasn't a truck or a Jeep or. Right. So something where if you went down a bumpy road, you would definitely bang up your exhaust or your anything if you didn't know the road, especially considering they think they went up there at night. Right. Yes, they did because they were leaving a college basketball game. So it was nighttime right. when they left. So it was definitely dark outside. So, yeah, obviously they had to be Madruga or whoever was driving had to be aware of where they were going. So this brought in the idea for some that. Maybe there could have been someone else in the car with them. One theory was that the men picked up a hitchhiker and he somehow commandeered the vehicle. Although this one is more like it's more of a stretch because it it does explain why they were on the road, mountain road in the first place, which is completely the opposite way of their direction. But Madruga and Matthias were both Matthias were both high functioning enough and aware enough that if they were going up a mountain with someone, they would have fought. They would have done something. Right. And the car wouldn't have just like. And they were both military guys, too. Yes. Right. right. And the car would not have just like aimlessly ended up in a little ditch. Right. If you were fighting someone for the wheel. Also, I don't I don't know. What do I know about picking up hitchhikers? But I don't believe anyone lets a hitchhiker drive their car. When it had the the car had gas, right? Yes. Yeah, it was yeah, full so of it, gas. And it just like turned over when the cops got it, I think. Yeah, it was completely working. Right. Totally fine. Yeah. They said that the wheels were turning over and over again, like they were stuck, but they could have easily moved it out and the car was full functioning. Right. So, th- and that's what the hitchhiker theory makes no sense because they were obviously able-bodied enough to leave the car. So it's not like the hitchhiker like debilitated them. Right. Another th- thought for me is like, I mean, I guess they could have, the idea could have been they ran away from the hitchhiker, but then wouldn't you just run back to your car? You wouldn't keep walking into the woods. Well, not only that, you wouldn't survive for three months. You would have gone back to your car. Right. Right. There must have been something else that happened. So another thing comes from the only sighting we have or only. Corroborating witness. No, yeah, witness. Only witness we have of anything that happened. It's a man named Joseph Jones. He was on the road at the same time as the five men. Uh, he got his car stuck in the snow. And apparently while he was trying to free it, he had a heart attack. Poor guy. So we're got, telling the wrong story. <laughs> we should be yeah. talking about this guy. Right. Like, can you imagine? You're like, oh, man, my car stuck. Start digging. And then like, I'm having a heart attack and you can't get out of there. Like you're on a mountain. He's literally stuck. That's Your why he had stuck, a heart right. attack. Yeah. Luckily, the heart attack was not lethal. 
But he got back in his car and when he looked, he left his light on um, and he claimed that he heard whistling from the other side of the road. So he looked over and he saw a woman walking by holding a baby. And he also saw a group of men with them kind of standing in the headlights of another car, which they believe if that's like if that's what happened, they believe that was Madruga's car with his headlights on shining on them. Um, He called for help. And the men started walking towards him. But when he called for help again, the light went out and no one ever stopped by the car like they must have run away or something. After running out of gas, he walked to town, which poor guy. So hold on. His car got stuck in the snow. He, he starts to have a heart attack. The heart attack passes. He gets his car out of the snow and then he's run out of gas. This dude, this poor man, he was not prepared to be driving in the mountains in the don't first go, place. Don't go in the mountains. Right. Joseph. And well, and he, so maybe he was the source of fear for them. So think about this. They're going, they get lightly stuck. They get out to push the car. They, they see hear someone yelling. They and hear screaming. someone yelling. They see a figure in their headlights, which is creepy. Right. They bail from the car. Never. Well, they were already outside of the car. Uh-oh. He saw them outside of the car, but they could have heard him. When you have a heart attack, I highly doubt you're like doing it quietly. Right. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, they could have heard him like screaming and yelling on the side of the road, having a heart attack and then yelling help. And they're like, is this man slowly turning into a werewolf? Like what is happening right. over there? Right. And then so, yeah, because I mean, clearly they were near their car because they had the headlights behind them. Right. So. Right. They were next to their him. car. Yeah. Yeah. And so then they ran away from their car, never to get back to their car. Yeah, maybe. But after he he started walking to town and passed the Montego, but by that time, uh, it had already been abandoned. So they were gone. So in between the time of him having the heart attack, calling for help, them them shutting off the lights... And walking past their car, which must have been pretty close to him. They, they were from gone. The car. So that actually makes a lot of sense to me. Right. They were scared. So they killed the lights and ran into the woods. But what would make you stay? What would how would it scare you so bad to the point where you would stay for months and months and die? Because, I mean, uh, maybe the fear of not being able to find the car. Oh, maybe that's it. Maybe they ran in and it was nighttime and then they couldn't find it. Right. And they didn't grab their maps and they had no idea of where they were because they clearly weren't familiar with. That doesn't explain being familiar with the road, but the whole being familiar with the road thing assumes that they did it at any kind of speed. I think there was a thing because I've read this story before, but there was a thing about the owner of the car, Madruga, I think, Mm -hmm. like really loved his car. It was like his huge pride point. Right. Right. And so. If he had to go up this mountain road for whatever reason, and it doesn't explain why they were up there in the first place, but he would just do it slowly. That's true. He'd be really careful. But even then, I don't know. I mean, even being really careful on dangerous mountain roads like that in the snow, it's pretty difficult to do. Well, I mean, you said it's only 30 miles away, right? And one of the last places they were seen was a gas station. So let's say they filled up. I mean, he could have been driving for hours very slowly, especially if they were lost. That's true. So people have obviously been confused by the whole woman baby thing. Right. That's obviously weird. Some have actually said they believe that the woman convinced the men to get out of the car and help her. And like whether she had a baby or not, they don't know. She may have lied about it and then like somehow led them to their death. I mean, maybe. Yeah. And, and, well, and. But why whole, would the car still be there? Like where, where did the woman go? Well, but the that's woman, my question. The woman baby thing to me would then be the reason for why they were up in the mountain in the first place. 
Like she could have been the hitchhiker. Maybe she not. could have been the hitchhiker. Yeah, and not, she could have said, I, I live this them. way. Yeah. When especially you have five reportedly more simple minded individuals. Right. Right. But that were generally decent human beings like a woman with a baby and on a snowy night would get me to go up a mountain road. Yeah, but I just I then my question is, if they were on this mountain road out in the middle of nowhere, like where did that woman go? Maybe that's who they were looking for. Maybe she got scared and ran off and then they went to go find her. Maybe there's a theory. So some do believe that, but also some cops have theorized that the woman holding the baby actually could have just been Matthias because or Matthias because he has he had really long hair and the dude was far away. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Right. And it was cold outside. So you could have easily been like holding a blanket or just holding himself. Okay, that makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah. So that could have been it. Yeah. The belief that most people stick to and that I can get behind is that um, Matthias had what was schizophrenic. He was on medication for it. It had been reported before by police. There had been reports that when he was off his meds, he would get violent. Right. So some believe that he had a schizophrenic episode, which then caused the other men to get away, to run far away. Right. So that happened in the car or near the car. If like maybe the car getting stuck caused him to freak out or something like that, they ran. And that's where they found the cabin. So it's believed that the four of them went to the mount, went to the cabin, had a meal there. And then the three minus Weir left. And that's where they left. They met their fates. The three, the police believe the three men left. And when they returned, they actually found Weir's body. And that's when they wrapped him in the shroud, because why else would he be wrapped in a shroud? It's kind of weird. They thought maybe someone else could have done it. But if someone else with the wherewithal had done it, they would have called the cops. Right. Um. And then, of course, they left again and they died. But the biggest question is, why did Weir stay? Like, why didn't he go with them? Um, And, of course, with all of the things available in the cabin, why, you know, why why did the the others leave? So here's an interesting. That's actually interesting. Didn't they say his feet were frostbitten? Yes. Sorry, I forgot. to. I don't know why I didn't say that earlier. He did. He was not wearing shoes. Yeah. Okay. And he had frostbite on his shoes. That's why you'd leave him behind. His feet were hurting. Yeah, but my other thought, okay, so, because the thing a lot of people talk about is we're, they believe, something that his mother said is he has, he had a really hard time doing anything without permission. He always asked permission for everything. So there's a chance he didn't touch the locker because it wasn't his and it was locked. Right. There's a chance he didn't mess with the matches because those aren't his. The only thing he touched were the food that was out in front of him because he was starving. Well, and one of the, one of the things that he might have been told his whole life is don't mess with fire or right. And don't touch other people's stuff and things like that. And he was, uh, he was, like I said before, one of the more severely handicapped ones. So those basic things to us that are like dust survival may have not happened to him, which actually makes me really sad. This is incredibly sad. Thinking that he's laying there dying when like, uh, if someone else was there to help him or if he could have understood a little more, he could have saved himself. Right. So easily. But my other thought is the other men like Madruga, who was high functioning to the point of having a car and the point of being in the military, did not touch those things. Why did they want to leave so badly? Like they found this cabin that had resources, that had things in it, even if it wasn't enough for a long time, just that small amount of food and just shelter. Why didn't they stay there? That was my biggest question. I get maybe why Weir didn't go, but why didn't they stay? So one of the, maybe it might've been, overconfidence that they would find the car 
That could have been it. He could have. They could have gone to get the car, and maybe I'm gonna go get the car. Weir I'll, was I'll go frostbitten, get help. and yeah. or he was too scared to leave. Well, because okay, so because he may have. We don't know how long he was frostbitten. So let's for, let's or piece together like the chain of events in a couple different ways. So to me, the thing that makes most sense is they're going up in the mountains for whatever reason. That one I have no idea about. And then the car gets minorly stuck. They start to push the car out. See a figure wailing in the distance in the lights, turn off the lights, say, Hey, we got to run, which also could have freaked out if he was having any kind of schizophrenic episode right. that definitely could have freaked could have Matthias out. Yeah, right. So heightened that, which it was already stressful. They were already in a location they didn't know. Cause that was another thing I think I read too, was that it was, um, uh, none of the boys ever reported like other than maybe one camping trip, like none of them had any time there. No, they'd never been there before. Right. Right. So, so they were in a, Strange location. The car had just gotten stuck. It's cold. It's late. You're scared. You're scared. In general, I and think that would be a see, scared whether uh, I see that man or not. Right. And then you you assume you're alone and then you see a man wailing in the distance. So you kill the lights to hope he goes away. He keeps coming closer. So then you leave the car, right? Well, he didn't. He called from help for help from his own car because he couldn't move. Oh, that's right. Okay. So, so then... They're still scared, so then let's just say they well, leave the hold car. On. I want to talk about something interesting, though. The first time he asked for help, they started to go towards him. The second time he asked for help is when they turned off the lights and ran away. What if the what if he had? That's whenever his schizophrenic. What if he freaked out? What yeah. if they were all like, "Oh, we have to help," and he's like, "Guys, this is bad. This like, guy's it's no too, good. Too much stress." Yeah. Right? Yeah, and he freaked out and was like, "Don't help them," and he was like, "Let's turn the well, lights think about off." This so schizophrenic episode. He turns the lights off and then runs. So then they have to look for him. Right. Because they're not going to leave him. Right. He's you know? their friend. Right. And then so then they go look for him in the woods. Uh, they're going after him. One of them doesn't have shoes, but is probably too scared to be alone. So then his feet get really frostbitten. They find a cabin. They put him in it and say, hey, look, like, we'll be right back. You'll be OK. So the only thing with the frostbite thing for me that makes me actually believe more. That he just wouldn't leave that he was too afraid to leave. Um, and that I conveniently forgot to say earlier is, uh, Matthias's shoes were actually found in the cabin and weirs were not. So they actually believe he took Matthias's shoes for some reason because his shoes were left in the car. Okay. So, yeah. so he, but then, so he probably didn't have frostbite yet. Well, but okay. So, but even still, so, Hey, I have a cabin. I'm too afraid. I, I don't want to leave it. to go back. Right. right. And so then the other grown men say, well, we can go get the car. Well, and then, well, what should someone stay with him? No, we need all four people because the car's stuck. Right. So leave the one who's scared. We'll or come they back. They still for may him. have not found. We'll get help. If he was freaking out and having a schizophrenic episode, they still may have not found. Yeah. And maybe they need Matthias, to still right? go find Matthias. So then it's OK. We got to go with probably the confidence that we'll either find help or be right back. But then they end up dying because they're lost in the woods. Or maybe they were gone for a really long time trying to find it. Finally found the co the cabin again. And like they said, realized he was already dead. No, no, no. He was alive for like two months. I know. But they said that the shroud thing. Why would the shroud be wrapped around him? No. Who, who would have done that? Maybe they found somewhere else to go for two or three months and then tried to find him and came back and found him like that. And then when they were trying to go back, they died. I don't know. It doesn't seem as likely to me as just... Staying in the cabin and then they leave. But then, yeah, how would Weir have lived that long on his own? Right, because he was alone. They said he was like they said by 
because of the amount of food that was around him and the things and the stuff like like it was him. They believe he they left after the first day. I mean, go him for making it that long. I know. Well, he and he lost 80 pounds. Well, maybe as maybe as simple minded as he was, it was just they're going to come back. They're going to come back. Well, that makes my heart. So I know sad. That, that's really, really sad. This is, <laughs> this, is this, this is by far the saddest one we've ever done. I know. But yeah, I mean, so to me, yeah. the most likely course of events was everything we got up to. The four men decided they were going to go take his shoes because he's not going to go anyway. And then we'll be back for him. And they just never made it back. And so he just did all he could to live. That to me is like the idea of like. Almost like an eight year old kid yeah. being stuck in a cabin alone. And in their eyes, they have no resources. Oh, can you imagine? God, oh, that's so depressing. Sorry, this is really this is hopefully the saddest story we'll ever tell. I don't want to tell any more sad stories. Yeah, this I'd is... rather be gross and icky than sad. Could you imagine? His family that has been looking for him. I was thinking about too. Like, can you imagine they're just like, well, your boys are lost, which these are all, most of these men, maybe not all, but most of these men are living with their parents still. I know Weir was because of their abilities. And like, it's like, sorry, we can't look for them for another three months. Well, and beyond that, like, why would you look up there? Like, I mean, even if it was like a, it's not like they had any clue where they were. Right. Well, they found their car four days later. They knew oh, where the yeah. car was. Yeah. But they just straight said, I'm sorry, we can't, we can't send out search teams like this. Right. So it's like, you know where their car is, you know where the possibility of their bodies are. And yet. Or, OK, how scared, how sad is that? When they go back and look at this, they found him in June. They see the, the beard. They see how skinny he is. And it's like, if we would have had the capability of searching, we could have gotten to him. Right. I he mean, he made it. A long time. Aww. Three months. It was sad enough reading it. It's way more sad talking it about it. It is really sad talking about it. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's probably what's likely. Well, hold on, though. So here's the biggest mystery of the whole thing. No one has ever found Matthias's body. He's And he's the one with schizophrenia? Yes. So obviously, it's much more likely that he's... I mean, because they did a huge extensive search. But it's much more likely that his body is just somewhere else. But there is a chance that he... Like people like to say, he woke up from his episode, went to a different town, had a different name and lived a life. Maybe someone got a good ending out of this. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it wasn't all horrible and terrible because so far it was really depressing. Okay, well, so alternative theory. What if. What if Matthias wasn't with them? Like, what if. They followed like another car up there. And Matthias, why would that car just leave him when they got stuck in the snow? Why would that car just be like, peace? Go get help. Couldn't make it back. I don't know. Yeah, but then someone I feel like someone else would have reported that. Yeah, probably to me, what seems more likely is they were chasing after Matthias, lost him, found the cabin. Right. And said, we'll go try to keep yeah, finding and him. And they found never him. found him and he's dead somewhere else. <sighs> but I mean, or he made it out of the woods. Yeah, maybe. I mean, and maybe he's alive. But yeah, I mean. We can right. dream, right? Like let's I'll let give, my I'll let's let my, give Matthias that one, yeah. Right? I'll let my skeptic skeptical skeptic thing be more about I want hope than about like, hmm, I wonder, you know? Right. Like I just want the hope that somebody made it out of that because <sighs> poor old Weir didn't. So sad poor Weir. Yeah, that one hurts my heart to think about. I know. Okay, well anyway, so if anybody knows anything else about the American Dial of Pass incident or just wants to share in our sadness, be sure to reach out to us and let us know what you know. But and I'm sad. sorry if I made anybody incredibly depressed for the night. I, I feel really depressed. I don't care. I'm not talking about you. I mean, everybody else. 
<laughs> so, so mean. Okay. You ready for my story? I guess. So I'll be talking about the Sloss Furnace, which is or was a steel mill from 1882 to 1971, which is in Birmingham, Alabama. Wait, hold on. Is this like. I feel like it's like sloths. Sloss. Sloss. S-L-O-S-S. Sloss. Oh, sloths. I kept thinking you were saying sloths. No, not the sloths furnace. <laughs> I was like, why would you name a furnace after that <laughs> right. weird animal? <laughs> like, that's the weirdest thing to name a furnace after. <laughs> a sloth furnace. <laughs> Just have, like, a giant sloth with, like, its little happy face Aww. hanging on the side. Cute. Anyway. No. So, sloths furnace, which is in Birmingham, Alabama, and was in service from 1882 to 1971. And it was a steel mill. Uh, now, in the early 1900s, a man named James Slag, quote, Slag Wormwood, was the foreman of the graveyard shift. He had 150 people to keep the furnace fed overnight. And temp and temperatures made it over 120 degrees in the summer. Wait, I'm sorry. Were you saying, quote, unquote, like his like his. Nickname is Slag. Yeah, Slag. <laughs> What's the nickname <laughs> Slag? So, well, What's up, Slag? That's a it's a metal like term. Which just sounds horrible. No, I mean it, like, is it's not, it doesn't sound like well, a nice word. Is like like the, I feel like if someone came up to me and called me a slag, I'd be like, yeah. excuse you? No, I think it is an insult because slag is like the useless stuff that you knock off of whenever oh. you uh are welding and stuff. Anyway. Poor guy. No, not poor guy. He was a jerk. Oh, never mind. <laughs> never he is a slag it. then. Yeah, he's horrible. He earned every bit of... I mean, I'm sure they called him much worse things. But anyway, so temperatures got over 120 degrees in the summer. Um, and it being graveyard, really low pay, plus those conditions. Only desperate people really uh, were willing to, willing to work this job. So in an attempt to impress his bosses, uh, he pushed them to cut every corner, work a lot harder, and 47 people lost their lives under him. This sounds like every like movie about being the underdog ever. <clears throat> what? Like the per like someone who works there where like that's your boss and he's like, We're gonna cut every corner and do everything wrong so that oh, we yeah, can yeah. you know what I mean? But then someone else like fixes like, everything. I won't do it. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Fight the power. Great. The, the, this is not how that ends. <laughs> uh, anyway, so <laughs> dang it. So forty seven people died under this guy and countless oh, people were injured and six people were blinded under him. Which by the way um, in my line of work, if one person has a paper cut, we like, you like shut down. We like halt and stop the presses and like deal with it for about three hours. So this blows my dang mind. Um, but anyway, so there were no breaks, uh, and no holidays for these people. They also lived on site so that they could be, um, called back into work at any time. What a different world they lived in. Compared to what we live in. Oh, yeah, it's horrible. Like, that's, it wouldn't be like, come live at your job. And everyone's like, what? Okay. No, that wouldn't right. happen. Right. No, you, you like go to your shift at Walmart and you're like, man, screw these 15 minute breaks, you know, not good enough. And dang, the air conditioning can't get it below 71. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so in October 1906, Slag lost his footing and fell into Big Alice, which was a huge furnace. Um, he was like walking the catwalk above it apparently slipped into her and uh, died immediately. I'm sure no one was sad about that. Well, not only that, but uh, it was reported that he must have gotten dizzy from the methane coming from Big Alice. But the problem is uh, he never actually went up there ever in his career. 
So a lot of people think that the workers brought him up there and killed him. Um, oh, snap. Yeah. So after this, the graveyard shift was actually discontinued because of strange happenings that started, which is the whole skeptical skeptic part. Slag was haunting that crap. Yep. So no, wait, let me say that again. That sounds dumb. Who says crap? What do I say instead? Mm, that ish. Slag was haunting them fools. Glad we stopped the show for that. Okay. <laughs> Worth it. So, um, so the beginning of the haunting. So this happened in October 1906. Um, and they say it shut down because of weird happenings. But like the fir- my first note is from 1926. So like this is 20 years later. But anyway. What was happening? I don't know. Just a bunch of weird stuff apparently. But in 1926, a night watchman was injured. So remember the graveyard shift is over. So this guy's just watching the furnace. Um, but anyway, so a night watchman was injured after being pushed from behind and being told in a deep, uh, disembodied voice to get back to work. Three managers were found unconscious in a small boiler room and don't remember how they got there. Each remember a badly burned man telling them to quote, push some steel. And in 1971, this is probably the worst instance, Samuel Blumenthal, um, and you guys can look this up was a night watchman on the last night before the plant's closure. So he was walking around the area and um, like going to go see the whole thing uh, with nostalgia and all that. Um, Well, that was that was that was ruined um, pretty heartily by, quote, the most frightening thing he'd ever seen. He described it as simply as evil, a half man, half demon Mm. who tried to push him up the stairs, up the stairs to Big Alice, where Slag was either thrown off or slipped off. Um, And when Blumenthal refused, this fiery monster began to beat on him with his fists. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So uh, when Blumenthal made it to the ER, he was covered with intense burns and this was recorded by his doctor and he died. Um, Sad. Yeah. So there were hundreds of others in other encounters um, and investigators and all this because the the haunting ended up becoming very sensationalized. And then Josh Thomas, who is a longtime employee of Sloss Furnace, actually came back as part of an investigation crew. And after saying, seeing, quote, a strange shape, he lost his memory and caught fire. Yeah. What? Yeah. And this was almost 32 years, almost to the day of the Blumenthal attack. He just like randomly caught fire. His clothes caught on fire. Yeah. For, even though the whole place was closed down. The whole place was closed down. Furnace hadn't run in ages. And yeah, his clothes caught on fire. Hey, I just love the idea that like, if we're going to go ahead and say... The ghost who is haunting this place is Slag, right? Right. I love the idea of a man who, whether he was murdered or just fell in and died at work. And as a ghost, all he does is try to get other people to work. That makes me so happy. Like the (laughs) idea that he's just still in the afterlife, like get to work, damn it. Yeah. (laughs) Not enough steel since they shut down this graveyard shift. Man, no breaks. Me dying was the worst thing that happened to this plant. (laughs) He's like, man, even in the afterlife, I still have to watch after you guys. Like, come on, get your crap together. Like that just makes me really happy. Yeah. So in a bad way, but happy. Um, there's a couple things to this. I think the first thing I wanted to, as far as our discussion go over is this haunting totally doubled down on being a haunting. I mean, I've never read one of like people being violently attacked or caught on fire by a ghost. And like that, I mean, this has a recorded death like that blows my mind. 
So one of the things that they say, the three managers in the boiler room, as far as hallucinations, all that goes like the methane and all the other gases that were happening. See a lot of stuff. Well, yeah. And even do weird things like go cording yourself off in a place. But they were like literally poisoning themselves over time. But the one thing that I keep going back to, and of course, is what made a sensationalized haunting that to this day, they still make the place like a haunted house and do like ghost tours and stuff. Mm -hmm. The thing to me is just the, the idea of this Samuel Blumenthal attack, right? Like that's crazy. What could it have been? Something dragging you up the stairs. Like, it's not even like the same as like if you're standing up there and you feel a push. Right. Well, yeah. Like the first night watchman right. 50 years before. Like that to me is. He felt a push. He heard a scary voice. Like, I get it. That's that's all normal haunting. But on the night of the plant's closure to be intensely burned and remember being attacked by a demon. I mean, that. That's one of the most sensational claims ever. And the dude really doubled down on his claim by dying. So, yeah, um, this one's for you, Samuel, for really sticking it, sticking it to it. Yeah, I mean, just like, like, hey, this actually happened. Want me to prove it? I'll die. I'll die. Yeah. Watch me. (laughs) Yeah, that's not fair. He's dead. But anyways, it's just it's really interesting because it's it is one of those that's like if you are going to stick if you are going to like put on your full tinfoil hat here and say, like, I firmly believe in not only ghosts, but that specific people who die in specific places haunt places. Well, and all that and physical manipulation and right, the fact that they can ill intent and, you know, right. anything else you want to put behind it. But yeah, I mean, this is this is it in spades. I think the other part is. What like everything else with every other haunting has a yeah, but it could have been. What could this have been? The only thing I can think of is the is the fact that their brains were so messed up from he was a all night watchman. Chemicals. He was a night watchman for the night time and was not a sl- steel worker. Yeah, but the chemicals were still there. No, they weren't. The there whole had to thing, be some. the whole thing about furnaces is when it's burning, you inhale it. They shut the furnace down at night. Oh yeah, that makes sense. I don't know then. Maybe there's some dude that like really hated everybody and was like, hey, Slag's dead. I'm going to pretend to be his ghost and kill people. That That's the only alternative. Like, what else could it? I mean, Which, who is this dude like hanging out around here and only does something every 20 years? Well, there's that. And then how would you how would you beat someone and burn them like other than being on fire? I mean, if you had fire with you. But I don't know how he wasn't. He wasn't unconscious. Yeah, I don't know. Like he was conscious through the attack. And then. Like this, this one is really what blows my mind, like the Samuel Blumenthal, like I I should make T-shirts like (laughs) I stand with Sam or whatever. Like I just I don't. I can't wrap my mind around what this could have been other than like I want to be skeptical. I do. If anything, maybe it's the reporting of the event that is the most off. Right. But, but let's take it at face value. Let's say it is what it is. And this wasn't a this was a sensationalized event at the time. Like, but I mean, I, I've got nothing. Yeah, I don't know either. I really would like to try to be on the more logical side of this, but I don't know how. Yeah, this, I, this I don't is feel one. like there is one. Yeah. So if anybody knows anything that we don't know or heard anything or is from that area, like definitely chime in. But th- this one is one that that just totally flabbergasts me. Um, also, it's the like you said, like 
hanging out for 20 years and not doing anything. So like the Josh Thomas attack, the the guy who came back like in the 2000s and, and his clothes caught on fire. Like that's another one that I have no explanation for, but it's one that uh, what what weirds me out is the centralized theme, right? Badly burned man. So like right, even if you're. Yeah, I get it. It's a furnace, a fire, big deal. Right. And it's the the theme of the whole building. But to be that malicious with stuff that's that recorded and reported and to be that tangible. I think that's the one that that's the thing that freaks me out about this one. Right. Like even the Bell Witch, which we did a few episodes ago, like the dude probably died of sickness. You know, this guy got well, and, beaten to death by a fire demon. Right. Well, and so much of the Bell Witch was like, yeah, maybe. Right. You know, we don't know. We had this like one yeah. source of the yeah, kid. This isn't the 1880s. We don't actually have anything else like proof. It's just all hearsay. Like, we don't know. Yeah, this but is the 1970s. No, but this stuff is like written down. This stuff is we have reports of it. Right. Of a man who died, of another man in the 2000s who went back and got on fire. This isn't hearsay. This is, and this isn't like, oh, I heard something on my, I heard a voice. Because they did hear voices, but that's not what we're talking about. No, like, yeah, it was, man, what a creepy place. I heard a voice. Oh, no, please stop beating me with your fists. <laughs> oh, God. Like, and, and, like, that's the part that blows my, I mean, you want to talk about fear, right? Like, could anyone have been more scared than this man? No, that sounds like a, a nightmare. No, that, that, sounds that is like, a horror movie for like real. If Sam continued to live, I don't know how you would like mentally continue to live. Well, yeah, I mean, well, let's think about that for a second. He's laying in his hospital bed just going, well, can this thing just come in and finish the job at any point? Oh, I don't like that. It's like Final Destination. I, I, I honestly couldn't imagine. So um, his doctor was Dr. Jack Barlow. Um, and I guess he was like recorded as talking about the burns and the stuff that happened to this poor man. But I mean, I just still can't. The the thing about is, is the lack of an alternative. I don't, I don't think we've ever had anything. I mean, even just the American diet love that you just did and regular diet love pass, like everything has an alternative. And right, there's always ideas of what could have happened because there's just so much unknown. Yeah. But, but like, with him, it's there's not much other than him all of a sudden going crazy and not remembering correctly how he got burned or some dude in a really creepy mask attacking him and a fireproof suit. I don't. Yeah, we got nothing here. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm honestly flabbergasted. It's by this. demon or nothing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well okay so let's think about that so okay maybe that's it so we're so flabbergasted thinking about it as skeptics let's let's go true believer right um i'm not thinking this is slag like let's so what are you thinking then well it's got to be a demon can we talk about how okay i feel like if we're gonna talk about this we both need to kind of talk about our ideas when it comes to the paranormal sure because we never really have so I'm I'm just going to say mine. If you agree with me, that's great. But like for me, it's always been like I would never say there's nothing out there. I would never say there's not some form of spirits around us because I don't think that's true with all the proof that we have and all of the encounters people have had. Um, the belief that a person dies and then their spirit stays where they are or where they lived to me is a little bit. Uh, I don't think I believe that. Maybe. I'm never fully going to say one or the other because I don't. That's the whole point of being a skeptical skeptic, right? Is that I fall somewhere in the middle. But so I have a hard time believing it's ever for sure. Like, oh, this person died here. So it must be this person. Although there are a lot of weird encounters people have had where it seems very specific to that. Like they say a name or 
And then they find out like a person with that name died in that house or whatever. So I know it happens, but in general, that's, I just don't follow that belief. Yeah. So I'm kind of the same way. I, my general thought on hauntings, like if they're to be real would be that it's not a specific person still there maybe like maybe i don't know i'm kind of it's hard to say it like for yeah, sure right so uh, it, right because nothing's for sure in this but for me it's gun to my head i would think that if we were to prove it that it would be some form of energy that we're just not used to or like a fold in time that we we also don't understand because the idea that like I'll die and next thing you know, I'm like recording a podcast for eternity. Like I just don't, I don't get that. <laughs> or I just like chill in my own living room. Like this is my house right. now. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, that's the Rachel ghost. She just sits there with Nutella and reading. Cause that's what Rachel human does. Right. Like that just doesn't make sense to me. Although Thanks so, for so outing the, me about my Nutella <laughs> right. addiction. So then here's the alternative for me. And this is where, this is why I thought this was interesting and why it would be fun to talk about is something like this to me is one, maybe all the horrible things that happened in this furnace were demonically driven in the first place. Or two, all this horrible stuff. The a demon was like, oh, this is a ton of negative energy. I can like take advantage of that. So like as far as ideas about demons, like I do think of those differently as ghosts. Like I think that we have enough. And nothing's definitive, obviously, but. To me, if any of it were real, I would think the malicious ones would be the ones I would think of more than the ones that just randomly say, hey, on a recording. You know what I mean? Right. So to me, it's like if the malicious ones are real, I think that they adopt personas or they adopt, you know, events that occur. Or they feed off of whatever is around them. Right. So it makes sense that a demon that's around a furnace... And if you're you're in a horrible would do place, fire. yeah, right, or like, but they would stick around there because of the sadness and the unhappiness. I mean, well, and even the, the people, people coming in who are at risk of being scared because they know it's a scary place. Right. Well, and even the people who like weren't dying, they were miserable. That was a miserable right. existence that they lived, and they lived there. So, like, you could easily, if there's any kind of evil spirit thing that that lives off of energy and things like that, the way that we all think that they do, that would be the place. Yeah. And uh, I think another thing. So so that to me would be interesting part. I just never would have. So like that's where you get into like exorcism or poltergeist activity. Like, can they physically harm you? And this is where this case or like this event um, just gets me on so many levels because it's one of those things that like. Let's say it's real. That totally changes the game to me, you know, as far as. Yeah, me too. It just puts me in like a, I have no idea. Like, it's not like a, oh, this means this or this or this means this proves right. this or disproves this. For me, it's just like, a, I don't, I don't know. Right. And and like I said, we'll do an episode where we tell our personal stories and like, we'll get some listener stories and stuff. But like, I did grow up in a house that like I think was haunted, but like. Who it well, was haunted by, you're not really sure. Not only that. Well, okay. So I take that back. Like physical stuff did happen. So I guess that's true. But just, I, I don't know, breaching the line between, you know, something hits you or you got pushed to a man dying of burns from a demon. Like that. that's a huge leap. That's different. Yeah. It's a massive leap. So I don't know. I mean, it's it's, it's a tough one, but it's incredibly interest, interesting, as horrible as it might sound. Like 
I mean, this is a dude's life we're talking about here. And like his family. Could you imagine explaining that to people? How would you like yeah. my. My family member died of burns that were given to him by what he believes was a ghost, but we have no proof of anything else. Well, and that's the thing. It was his belief. Like, it's not like someone found a burned up body and said, oh, it was Slag the Demon. Yeah, right. No, it was him. Like he said it was. By the this... way, Slag the Demon is such a cool name. That's a pretty good name. Yeah. To like, be if honest I was with. a demon, I would like my name to be Slag. As well, a maybe... human being, I don't want to be Slag. It sounds terrible. <laughs> right. But as a demon, like Slag the Demon. Well, maybe Slag like really was. He was like, you know what? I could just be a ghost, but like, I'm just going to go full, full bore demon. Um, but yeah, so this one just totally blows my mind. Uh, it's a fairly short story, but it's one that like, and, and there's stuff out there. So feel free to, I mean, I'll link some stuff and then, uh, feel free to look into it and, you know, pitch into the discussion, but it just, it totally blows my mind. Well, it's short, but it has a lot of implications for what exactly our beliefs are, or what we should look into or how we should feel about certain things. Right. Um, yeah, because it's one of those things like if you if you're going to believe, then fine, believe in this one. If you're not going to believe, then what the hell was this? You know, right. And for those of you that listen, that for if there's anyone out there that chooses to listen to us and thinks everything we talk about is complete baloney, which is fine, please give us your idea. I would love to hear because the thing is, I want to I want to have the skeptical side. I just can't find it. Yeah. So if you can, I would love, love to hear your side. And I'm not being sarcastic in any way. Like, I want to know what logic you can find in this. Yep. So this has been another episode of Skeptical Skeptics. Um, we really appreciate the support we've been getting and the constant listening that we've been getting and the interactions we've been getting as well. Like this is honestly taken off and sustained a lot better than we ever expected. So um, if you find yourself enjoying the show, just please like, subscribe and share. Um, that way we can get a few more like-minded people to to listen as well. I think that's one of the things that we definitely did this to you know, try to get a fun discussion going. And so one of the things that starts with that is, you know, sharing it on social media, which is how we do that. So if you have any scary stories, there's a couple posts on our Facebook page or Twitter where we ask for some, uh, feel free to submit into there and we'll just keep prompting every week, try to gather up some stories so we can share it on an episode. And if you have any, um, questions or feedback or anything like, like that at all, feel free to send us a message or an email, um, or leave us a review, anything at all. And we'll be posting this on all our social media. So thanks again for listening. Really appreciate you. Thanks. Bye.